The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Well, there's a TV series on at present on BBC that started last Sunday night called The Gold. And one of the central characters in it, a fellow called Kenneth Noy, is played by Jack Loudon and getting a lot of attention, sort of playing it as a charming, cheeky, chappy type, you know, the usual thing like the criminal heist, this is a gold bullion robbery. Except the real Kenneth Noy is far from a cheeky, chappy, charming type. Oh yeah, maybe he's able to deal with people in a way that seduces them or charms them. But he's a cold-blooded killer and a career criminal. And he's the subject of a terrific new book by the Irish journalist Donald McIntyre, co-written with Carl Homan. And it's called A Million Ways to Stay on the Run, the uncut story of the international manhunt for public enemy number one, Kenny Noy. Donald, thank you very much for being with us. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. This guy is a nasty bit of work, isn't he? Well, I think uh, I think certainly over the last thirty years that has been the presentation. I come from a journalistic and and kind of privileged journalistic position. I've also been working in criminology, so we don't you know those kind of terms. They're kind of very broad brush and tabloid. The issue is when you look at somebody like him in depth. He's a really complex character. He's a brilliant businessman, entrepreneurial guy. If he'd been in the city, he'd have been the Wolf of Wall Street. He has murdered, he's killed two people. One was the death of a policeman. And I remember, this was uh, uh, DC John Fordham. I remember I was undercover at the time and saw the, this death, as you and others would have seen it, as the death of a policeman. And, he, and he, the jury acquitted him on self-defence. And then I look at the paperwork and the court transcripts, and I wondered, did he fool the jury? And you know, then I realized, when you look at the transcripts, it was the right verdict. And in fact, the prime defense witness ended up being the state pathologist who said that D.C. Fordham had in fact attacked um, Kenny Noy first. So that was a genuine case of self-defense. And that, but um, then the next murder, uh, the next killing was the death of a, you know, of a Stephen Cameron, a road rage incident. And, you know, to, so, so in the first instance, when you apply a forensic, journalistic and criminological eye to it, it was a matter of self-defense. So he was acquitted in that. And, um, and that was an affront to many police officers. And it is also dealt with in the Gold series, which uh, you, you referenced. Yeah, but, and the point being, I suppose, that when he was uh, convicted of the, or when he was sought and the manhunt went underway for his killing of Stephen Cameron, that was prompted, was it, by a desire of the police to almost get revenge in relation to the John Fordham case. Could it have been that they went on a manhunt that they would have not have done had it not been for somebody who they believed had killed a policeman? Well, I think there's certainly an exigency to that. They certainly felt there was payback uh, due. This was, if it was, as most police officers would say, if, if it wasn't Kenny Noy, it may have been recorded down as manslaughter. Uh, but in any event, this was public enemy number one. I think it was an affront to lots of people that he was incredibly wealthy outside of his criminal activities. He went on the run and had access not only to his millions, but also the hundreds of millions that his friend John Palmer, who was also charged in relation to the Brinksmat heist, who and also features in the Gold series. And um, he, he was worth over £300 million uh, pounds and was wealthier than the Queen and gave him his assets 
his private jet and helicopter uh, and left it at Kenny Noy's disposal in order to facilitate his time in the run. And he evaded police capture for you know up to two and a half years, despite the involvement, reputed involvement of MI5, security forces, Interpol and police forces all across the world. But what was more remarkable, as you detail in the book, was how he hid in plain sight. Well, that is the remarkable thing, because he was in reasonably regular contact after about six to eight months with members of his family. And there was a quite an legal oddity in that because he hadn't been charged with murder, he wasn't, a, he wasn't officially a suspect in that a warrant had not been placed on his arrest. A what, he was on a watch list for Interpol, but there wasn't enough evidence to charge him with the murder without an identification by one or two of the witnesses uh, on the day. So um, anybody who assisted him during his two and a half years mostly could not be charged with aiding and abetting an offender, which is quite an unusual quirk of the law. The minute the fiance Danielle Cable, uh, she identified him in a police sting in Spain, then uh, the police were able to get a warrant and then arrest him. And uh, that his arrest came within days of the identification by Danielle Cable. Danielle Cable being the fiance of the victim, Stephen Cameron. Tell us a little bit about the circumstances of that road rage murder, because it is extraordinary how you detail almost the serenity with which he went away, uh, upping the sound of his Dionne Warwick music before he went home to have his lunch. Well, uh, you you have read the book. (laughs) Well done, Matt. Because so few people actually read the book. I mean, it is extraordinary. This was, as the judge described, a really banal, so pitilessly unnecessary fight and uh, and in fact Kenny Noy was getting the worst of it from a 21 year old kickboxer and incredibly fit karate uh, uh, electrician Stephen Cameron and then he took a knife to the fight and uh, plunged uh, a knife twice and causing Stephen's death. When he left the scene he didn't think he had murdered Stephen, he didn't think Stephen had died and so he went on Cleaned, cleaned himself up and went to the pub as normal. And it was only when he was watching Sky News, who were often very quick with the, with this news, uh, certainly in the UK, he uh, realised that he was dead and thought, oh my goodness, I've got to get out of here. I don't have a chance. What is interesting is, if he had stayed at the scene and explained his circumstances, he probably would have been charged with manslaughter and ended up serving eight rather than 21 years. Alternatively, and this is really one of the again oddities of it if he'd actually done nothing absolutely except get rid of the clothes and went home went to the pub and did nothing he would never have been convicted the key evidence against him was all were all the tasks he took to disguise and separate himself from the scene he fled the country within 24 hours of the murder he got rid of his car he made all these efforts at disguising any any connection between a Land Rover. He bought a new car to replace his old car. And that was a huge amount of circumstantial evidence linking him to the crime. But without a lot of that, um, he may not even have been uh, convicted of, of, of the murder. But when he was extradited from Spain, he admitted uh, that he had killed Stephen, but it said he'd done it in self-defence. But then there was also the eyewitness account of another character, Alan Decrabal. And this is fascinating yeah. as well, because this guy just happened to be, it seems, a drug dealer. I don't know if, how significant yeah. one he was, but he then 
was shot dead himself a number of years later in his car in what looked like a professional hit. Tell us about that. Well, extraordinarily, is that the the, with the the terrible terrible death of Stephen was witnessed by his fiance, who was terribly distraught. And in those circumstances, you know, although she proved to be quite a reliable witness, often uh, the trauma makes ensures that they're not reliable witnesses. Another key witness, Alan de Cabral, saw it and then took ten minutes before he reported it on his mobile phone in his uh, blue tinted, uh, electric blue tinted Rolls Royce. He was quite a character. In the, um, he described um, how he'd seen the stabbing and crucially, and this is the difference between murder and manslaughter, he said he saw Noy walk away from the scene smirking with a click in his step as if he was happy about it. That seemed a bit too 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 much of the, towards the police agenda to be true and, and he was described as the unforgettable de cabral in in the in the court evidence but it transpired that he was in fact um a major drug dealer that six months before he gave evidence at the trial um he was arrested and found with 56 guns £160,000 worth of cash, £120,000 worth of cash, a consignment of cocaine and a Mercedes which full of hidden compartments for the smuggling of drugs and cash. Or he got um, a suspended kind of rap on the, on the knuckles by the local magistrates. His guns and his cash was returned. The drugs were kept, as was his Mercedes. But after he gave evidence, uh, the Mercedes was returned to him. During the evidence, his wife, a strange wife, phoned the court and was trying to talk to Noy's barrister to say everything her husband was saying was a lie. Uh, he didn't, he wasn't, didn't arrive in the scene coming from mass. He was on the way to deliver a consignment of drugs. And then, uh, but she couldn't get in contact with the defense team. So months after Noy's conviction, she wrote to him in prison and she then told Noy's team that her husband was uh, a drug dealer and they had been raided by the police. And now after he gave evidence trial, was given back his, his car. Now, about six months after that, he was murdered. Now, people would have thought, oh, he was murdered because he gave evidence and that. In fact, by that stage, de Cabral's evidence would have been the key to a successful appeal for Mer for Noy's conviction. So actually his death was a problem for Noy. And actually um, he was such, the police um, never interviewed Kenny Noy about de Cabral's death because they were aware that de Cabral was already a target for assassination because he had bought a million pounds worth of cocaine on tick from a European gang and had been swindled by a London gang and that he owed money and was a number one target. So many people wanted de Cabral dead. And in any case, Noy was already at that stage in the UK's version of Guantanamo and had no access to any visitors, uh, barely any access to any um, uh, light. And he was under uh, supervision um, and constant supervision 24 hours a day in prison. You could hardly make this story up. It's got so many twists and turns in it. But what about Noy now? You said he served 20 years in prison for uh, murder. But where is he now? And does he have money? <laughs> So Noy is a very successful businessman. I mean, I brought in uh, um, Professor James Treadwell, a professor of criminology at Staffordshire University, and he interviewed him um, while we were uh, doing our research for the book. I really want, it's a rare opportunity to get academics um, meeting criminals uh, of, of this ilk. And he believes that Kenny Noy simply everything, every decision he makes is a entrepreneurial one. It's about money. And, and clearly, um, 
you know, killing people and that kind of violence does not uh, link up with murder. Uh, with does not, it's not very good for business. And what's interesting about the policeman uh, who I introduced him to, Ian Brown, who, whose colleague, DC Fordham, was 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 killed by Noy. He recognizes uh, and accepts the self-defense verdict. He also says that. The police record, despite the two deaths, and this is the conundrum, this is what makes it so complex and intriguing, that, that Noy himself is not intrinsically uh, pathological, he's not intrinsically a violent man, and before these two incidents, uh, despite a long history of kind of uh, suspected crime, he was no, no marker for violence was against him. So he really, today, he's very affable, very charming, he's a grandfather, he's settled down, he's, he's accepted uh, his, his penalty, served his time, and I think, as I do, um, I'm always for, you know, rehabilitation, and I think the prison system is there uh, uh, for people to serve the crimes and then be released back into society, you know, and I think um, the parole board released him, believing him to be safe. Okay. And, uh, you know, l- let's hope that he is. You're I, I a generous man, Donald. You've also written with Carl Holman a fascinating book, A Real Entertainer, A Million Ways to Stay on the Run, The Uncut Story of the International Manhunt for Public Enemy Number 1, Kenny Noy. Donald, great having you on the programme. Thanks for joining us. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here.